0: Um, On to other things. We're continuing our uh, sermon series on the book of 1 Peter, which is providing uh, for us the, the, the questions for discussion in our care groups. And this is a bi-weekly series for those of you who are uh, new here this morning, and so in this series, we're focusing uh, on the book of 1 Peter as a whole, and um, the, the, the first sermon that we had on this was a couple of weeks ago where we looked at just the first two verses and looked at the introduction of this book, and now we're picking up again on it verses 3 through 9. So, if you have a Bible with you, or you like to read on a device, or you like to read on the overhead, we have an opportunity for us all to follow along in the Scriptures, Now, one thing before we begin um, our reading this morning, very briefly, just a a little bit of a a recap from a couple of weeks ago. You remember that I made the note, and this was uh, evidenced in the introduction itself, that the book of 1 Peter as a whole focuses on this very delicate balance between, as Christians, living in the world, that means working in the world, and raising families in the world and cultivating relationships in the world and, and witnessing in the world, that, that this, this existence that we have and calling to be in the world is followed then by actually being for the world and the renewal of the world, but then also we're called at the same time not to actually be of the world, or the old term is becoming worldly, so that then we compromise our relationship with the Lord and we compromise our ability to offer a light and an alternative to the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you get that delicate balance. There is a yes to the world, there's also a no. The focus this morning, and we're going to pick up again on this elsewhere in the book of 1 Peter, is that, okay, fine, we say yes to the world, but when we have to say no to the world and the perspectives of the world, um, that can cause... A certain amount of difficulty for us. And for some Christians in the world, it's it's a cost, a dear cost that has to be paid for that kind of sacrifice. So we're going to be focusing on that this morning without further ado. Join me, if you would, uh, beginning at verse 3. We read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we're going to end our reading um, at that point. And again, as I just noted, the delicate balance of being in and for the world and also then not of the world is not only a delicate balance, but again, if we are going to at times have to say, okay, the world... You out there, you want me to live as a certain way as a Christian, and you want to compromise my values, or you want me to compromise my values. I can't do that. I can't do that. And the result of that for us, brothers and sisters, if we're going to remain true to our convictions of being a contrast community and a culture, a cultural witness, if we are going to commit ourselves to that as individual Christians in this Pathway Christian Church, we're going to take it on the chin. And it increasingly be that way. And it's, there's, there's going to be a sacrifice on our part and a cost that we're going to have to pay. And it's interesting that, that Peter, throughout the book, but especially in the passage we read, underscores that very fact. So with that having been said, I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into the passage. And actually, rather than beginning at verse 3 and kind of working our way through, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. And let's begin with the very middle of the passage. So I want to draw your attention at this point to verses 6 and 7, where we read this. In this, Peter says to his readers, In this you rejoice, and you say, well, what is the this that he's referring to? He's referring to all the blessings that are contained in verses 3 through 5 which I'll get into a little bit later on in the sermon. But for now, he says, in this, these blessings that I just talked about, you rejoice, although now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. You've been made sorrowful by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, um, Peter mentions a number of blessings in verses 3, 4, and 5, but then he mentions the reality of something that we face as Christians periodically. And, And the wording that he uses there is various trials. Not just one trial, but various kinds of of trials, which raises the question for us, Well, what, what, what is he talking about? What kind of trials is he talking about? What were those Christians facing at that time? The word that he uses here for trials in the original language is the word pirasmos, pirasmos, and that that word can be translated in different ways according to the context in which you find it in the Bible. So sometimes the word parasmos means um, a test of some kind. Here, um, it's used as trial. Other places in the Bible it's actually the word that is used for temptation. So it will be translated as test or temptation, but here it, it, the, the word trial is, is used. And I want to submit to you that when Peter is talking about trials here, he's, he's, he's likely referring to uh, various forms of persecution that the Christians were facing. Um, at that time. And the reason why I say that is because that's the indication that you get in other parts of, of First Peter, that the Christians are, are suffering as a result of some kind of, 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 of persecution. Let me give you a quick example of that. I can't go in every place, but if you have your devices uh, available uh, or your Bible, and this is where it's, it's beneficial to bring a Bible or a device with you and follow along because the overhead doesn't always contain other scriptures that I draw your attention to. For instance, go to chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12, where Peter says this, and it's just one occasion that we find in the book. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, and there's that word parasmos again, the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so, elsewhere in the book, um, Peter says this, and he uses the word suffering. He says, "There, there, There are occasions right now that you're suffering, and why are you suffering? It's because you're suffering basically in the same way as Jesus. Jesus suffered and experienced all kinds of of persecution from a lot of different vantage points. And and so Peter's like saying, you know what, you shouldn't be surprised. Jesus suffers, and if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer too. Jesus experienced trials, you're going to experience trials. And the the trials that he's talking about by which they suffer, again, is, is likely forms of persecution. We find that throughout the letter. But also I want to submit to you that the reason why Peter is likely referring to trials as some form of persecution is uh, because of what we know about what Christians experienced historically at that time. Now you'll remember if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we dealt with the introduction, in fact, again if you have a Bible or device, you go back to 1 Peter 1 verse uh, 1, where Peter addresses, and again, if you are here two weeks ago, this should ring a bell, he, 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 he um, addresses his readers as temporary residents. He says, you live in the world, but really, ultimately, this isn't your home, right? Your home is in glory, and we're all headed in that direction. Okay. And then he's, he's, he's telling them, listen, this is, this is the geographical location where you're living, and he mentions these various provinces in verse 1. Which I won't go through now, but these provinces were known as part of uh, Asia Minor at the time, which at that we know is southern-day Turkey today. It's in the Mediterranean region, and these provinces were all part of what we call the Roman Empire. And if you know anything about the Roman Empire, you know that that Christians who lived during the time, uh, who lived in the Roman Empire at the time of Peter, um, were oftentimes persecuted in various ways for their faith. And uh, it's, it's interesting, when you, when you study the Roman Empire, which it existed over, over hundreds of years, if you know a little bit of the history, you know that the Roman Empire had, had various emperors. And depending on the emperor, Christians sometimes were severely persecuted, but sometimes they weren't so persecuted. It, it, depend, it depended upon the history at that point in the Roman Empire and who the emperor was. But my point is, is that the indication is that during Peter's day, which was likely during the time of uh, Emperor Nero, Christians were experiencing at times intense forms of persecution, even some of them being put to death for what they experienced. So here's where I'm going with this. When Peter writes to these individuals who are experiencing various forms of trials or persecution, he's writing ultimately to encourage them (laughs) not to give up. In fact, Peter is not the only apostle who ever had, had done that. The apostles, when you read through the New Testament, were constantly encouraging uh, Christians to maintain their faith. Because you know how it is. When you experience trials, you start, sometimes you start whittling down in your faith, and you start wondering about the cost of following Jesus Christ, which can be a very severe cost indeed. And other apostles were encouraging Christians at the time. Let me give you just one example, and then we're going to keep moving on. Would you put the first PowerPoint on from the book of Hebrews? Look at that. But we recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, okay? So we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but he's encouraging Christians. He said, at one point, you were enlightened. And what do we mean by that? Well, his, the lights were going off. Lights going off of, regarding what? Jesus Christ, the gospel was presented to you, the lights went on, and you embraced Christ. We recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. But you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew yourselves that you had a better possession and abiding one Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which as has should be a great reward. So you you get an idea what the Christians at the time were facing. Some of them were facing economic deprivation, um, economic prejudice against them. Uh, It it affected them uh, physically. Uh, it, it It just affected them in various ways. Some of them were being thrown into prison and so on. So the apostles are encouraging them, don't give up. Because you know what? This life is not all that there is. The great reward, heaven is coming. Keep your eyes fixed on that reward. Fight on. You see the encouragement. And that's the kind of encouragement that Peter is giving here. All right. So I spent what? Five, ten minutes just kind of getting to the background. Let's step back. Because I think that's what preaching needs to allow us to do upon occasion. So it's just not all instruction. Sit back and let this sink in a little bit. When I read from the book of Hebrews, or when I bring you to various places, for instance, the book of 1 Peter, and I talk about various trials in the form of persecution, let me ask you this. You ever read the Bible? Or you hear preaching and you go, okay, um, I understand. But I really can't identify with it. It seems a little intangible to me it's just it's not something like what I mean really what do we know about persecution what do we, what do we any one of us know about the kind of person that he's talk persecution he's talking about here well there are some I think of our Afghani friends this past week um, I I asked one of them I said would you share some of the things that you went through in Afghanistan and i said i said and would you mind me sharing this and this person wrote back and said sure and thank you thank you for remembering the persecuted and this is what the person wrote i'll be quick afghanistan is well known for its persecution of christians since all christians in afghanistan are converts from islam they are not allowed to express their christian faith even in private And if they cannot be convinced to renounce their faith, they are often sent to psychiatric hospitals. When I became a Christian, the Muslims tortured me. They called me a kafir, an apostate, and impure. I was a nobody who could not invite others into my home or visit others in their homes. But now it is different. In Christ, I am considered pure. There is freedom. And most importantly, Christ heard my voice and saved me from darkness. Now, apart from our Afghani friends, maybe there are a few others here who can really identify with that, but, but most of us really can't. It doesn't make us sub Christian, it just means in the providence of God that has not been our experience. But, my friends, we, we, we cannot look at a passage like this and we read about various trials or tests and then kind of go, oh, well, that doesn't really relate to me, so let's just kind of move on. Listen, the fact of the matter is we all do face things in our lives that, that we would call ter- um, maybe not forms of persecution, but they certainly are trials and, and they are tests. So we can identify um, with this text. You know, I was thinking about this past week, and then I was, I was uh, uh, praying along with, with John as he was praying the congregational prayer, and I thought, oh, he's touching on some of these things already. Just think of some of the trials that we are facing here right now, just within our Pathway congregation. Cancer. Some of us job dissatisfaction. Some of us financial stress. We live in an expensive part of the country. Some of us are adapting to a new country, learning the language and learning the culture, trying to get a job. Some of us are facing the recent death of loved ones. And that throws us for a loop. We experience depression, anxiety, children who are going through struggles. We face the struggles of getting older. And if you're younger and you're not older, then it's really hard for you to identify with those things. But those things are real struggles. And, you know... um, we we sometimes, as we face these various trials or these purasmuses in our life, that sometimes as we go through them, then we kind of go, yeah, now I can identify with this passage somewhat. And sometimes as we go through these things, we're kind of like, well, okay, my theology tells me that God is all-powerful, he's omnipotent, and, and God is omniscient, he knows all things. I get that, but there are many times, like the psalmist, where you say, but man, it doesn't seem like God's taking notice. Because, 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 man, if he is taking notice, then why doesn't he do something about it? This has been going on in my life, not just for months, but for years. See, that's a trial. That's a test of faith. But, you know, um, the thing that we, we need to understand is that tests or trials not only come in the form of difficulties, but uh, sometimes they come even more so in the form of ease ease. Like for instance, I want to spend a lot of time on this, but listen, do you ever think that, that when we gather together in this gym on a Sunday morning, you ever think like, wow, we got the freedom to do that. I mean, we don't, we don't have government officials standing at the door going, what are you doing here? Or when you gather for care groups in the coming week, have you ever gathered in a care group and kind of go, we can meet in each other's homes. We're not living in Afghanistan. We're not living in China. We're not living in a place where we have to hide. We're not living in North Korea where we're wondering, you know, even, even by virtue of possessing a Bible, that is a death sentence. Man, we, we, have, we have the ease, and I'm not encouraging this, but we have the ease that if we don't want to show up on a Sunday morning, no government official is going to come to our door knocking. If we get tired of walking with Christ and we slip-slide away, sure, I mean, the elders of the church can come to us and, if necessary, enact discipline in order to draw us back to the fold. But uh, apart from that, we have the ease of following Christ or maybe just kind of turning our backs and just kind of slip-sliding away, as some people do. And in many ways, the test of ease is, is much more serious than the tests of... Difficulty. And that matter, that matter, one more thing, that matter of ease is not, this, that's our struggle. That's our struggle in our North American culture, in our Canadian context. And you know what? That struggle, that, that, that test, it, we're not the first generation or culture to have to face that. Two scriptures very quickly. If you'll turn to the book of the Old Testament. Can you put that on there, please? Deuteronomy. Here's God speaking to his people about the time when they go into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the land of prosperity, says this. And when the Lord, Moses says, and when the Lord your God brings you into the promised land with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full, then be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who gave you these things. The test of ease. What happens when our life is easy? Easy to slip, slide away. Easy to forget that God is the source of our every blessing. Next. Revelation 3.15. This is to the church of Laodicea. The Lord says, I know your deeds. You are neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. Would that you would either be cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, why are the people lukewarm in their faith? Read on. You say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I have need of nothing. Oh, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Prosperity, ease, freedom. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's also extremely dangerous. Here's my point. Peter talks about these various trials. Okay, now, now when I talk in the way that I do over the last five minutes, now hopefully we can all identify with the passage and say, okay, Peter, I get it. The various trials, okay, we all face them. These various tests, we all face them. But here's the thing. Whatever trial we experience, um, whether it be ease or whether it be difficulty or avert persecution, these, these trials... First of all, we must understand, because we believe in a sovereign God, there is no trial that comes in our life that does not ultimately come from this, from the hand of God. And the design of Satan, who is real, in the midst of our trials is what? It's ultimately to destroy us and to lead us away from Jesus Christ. But a sovereign God, in the life of his children, whom he loves, when these trials come to our lives, the design of those trials not from the devil's end, but from God's end, is to do what? It's not to draw us away from Christ, but it's to draw us to Christ, to refine our faith, to rededicate ourselves to supreme allegiance to the King, to Jesus, and also to deepen our appreciation of God's grace. And, and why, why do I say that? Why do I say all those things? Take a look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Here's his encouragement in the midst of trials, and this is God's design. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And I want to take a deep breath after that and go like, wow. Uh, talk about a condensed portion of the scripture, verses 3, 4, and 5. Bear in mind, there, there are no periods and there are no commas or any other punctuation when you look at the original Greek manuscripts. So this is this is what we have. Editor- we have editors at work here, providing, providing various commas here and 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 uh, clauses. And the thing is, is at least in in the in the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible, if you notice, it all comes as <laughs> one sentence. With, with various clauses, and there's a number of clauses here. So basically what the clauses do is, though this is one sentence, it, there's, there's various separate segments that draw attention to fundamental, beautiful uh, truths. And so each of these clauses, here's my point, each of these clauses really contain a sermon in and of itself. So there's a lot packed in here. So for the sake of time and simplicity, what we need to do is we need to just kind of break it down to his most basic elements. So what is Peter really saying here? In a nutshell, this is what he's saying. He's saying, beloved, my children, as you, as you experience the trials of living in a fallen world, and as you experience the trials of maybe even persecution of saying at times no to the world, This is going to require sacrifice, and this is going to require cost. But always remember this in the midst of your trials. Number one, you are children of God. Number two, as children of God, you are recipients of His mercy, whose source is in eternity and is expressed to you in time. You are children of God. You are recipients of His mercy, By the grace of God, you've been born again by the Spirit of God, where God takes what is spiritually dead and he makes it alive. You are alive in Jesus Christ, he says. The faith that you have, which is a gift itself of God, God protects and he grows. And that faith is protected by means of his power. Praise God for that, that you, ha- you are in possession of these things. But there's also something in the future. There's an inheritance waiting for you. <laughs> it's the new creation, the new heavens and the earth. And you're on the way there. And in the midst of your trials, God is keeping you. He's keeping you. He's sustaining you. And he's going to. It's not qu- a question of if he's going to do it or not. He's going to give you that inheritance. And that's why you need to keep your eyes on that. You don't need to keep your eyes on the here and now. Keep your eyes on the goal. Because when you're in the thick of stuff, all you can see is that. Is that. And Peter says, take your eyes off of that and put it on the future. That's your reward. Fight on for the reward. As the author of Hebrews says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith, and keep your eyes on that reward. So, with that having been said, all these blessings that Peter brings about, is that, is that something that, that you yourself embrace and believe? Really? And is it, is it the kind of warm blanket? that keeps you comfortable and secure in the midst of the various things in life that provide the potential for you to slip and slide and diminish your allegiance to Christ. Um, I, wanna, I wanna raise that also, um, just not for us generally, but for those of us who are, you know, we call the younger ones around uh, among us. And by younger, uh, teens, and 20s. I thought my 20s, I thought I was much older than what I really was, but when you get older, you realize, oh, you're still pretty young yet, you know, and you're still, you're still grappling with matters of faith. Is the comfort of this passage your comfort? Let, let, me, let me give you, again, to provide us a little bit of a break, let me, let me uh, provide you with an example and I want to draw to a close, okay? Um, periodically, what I will do because I enjoy history, I like to go through my, my, my grandfather's um, World War I letters. And my, my grandfather served in, uh, during World War I in a place called Archangel Russia, which is right near the Arctic Circle. It's on the very, on the very north part of Russia. <laughs> and as a kid, I always thought, what was he doing in Russia? I, mean, I thought, I would think he would serve in France, right? Or he was fighting in Germany or Belgium or something like that. No, he was an Archangel Russian. And only later when I began to research this, I began to understand why. And that's because not many people know this, but some American troops were actually serving in North Russia to guard at the end of World War t- uh, I, to guard various um, supply depots because they did not want the Russians during the time of the Russian Revolution to take hold of those armaments and get their, get their hands on them. And at one point, not many people know this, but American troops were fighting the Russians. They were fighting what they called the Bolos, the Bolsheviks at the time. So my grandfather was kind of a, uh, in, in, the, in the thick of this. At any rate, uh, there is among all the stack of letters, there's this one letter written by a young man named Peter de Pachter. And Peter DePachter was a a friend of my grandfather's who lived in a very small town in Wisconsin. It was kind of a Dutch ghetto. And I know that Canada has a lot of post-war immigration after World War II. But this is a little Dutch community that was started in the 1840s already. And so he grew up in that. And and my grandfather knew this, Peter DePachter. And Peter DePachter also knew my grandfather's father named Garrett. And here's where I'm going with this. He wrote my grandfather, Garrett, during that time in Archangel, and, and, and he, he wrote him this, and this is dated from April 10, um, 1919. He wrote, um, why don't you put it? Garrett, I've changed since leaving home. There are times when a fellow thinks more about earthly things than he does about his master. I have found more time lately to think about God than about earthly things. The other day, I went to the canteen, and they were having a, a worship service, and they sang a song I never thought about when I was at home, but believe me, it sure was a beautiful song after not hearing it for so long. It was the song, and I, and I don't know if you know this song, uh, maybe some of you do, maybe many of you do, it's, it's found in a lot of Christian hymnals. We used to sing it when I was young. What a friend we have in Jesus. Garrett, with him we can go any place, and endure any pain. He was probably 19 or 20 years old at the time. But here's my point. This is why I share this letter with you, is that this is a young man who could have maybe floated through life, but when he went through his own purasmos, his own trial that he experienced, which was war, is then where he realized what his Christian faith meant to him, and his final word to him is, with him, that is the Lord, we can go any place and endure any pain. Is that your confession? Is it your con- because, because my, my friends, if that's not your confession, then, then what's going to sustain you and what's going to bolster your faith when you go through the difficult times, which some of you may right now? What's going to keep you? What's going to keep you slip sliding away and compromising your allegiance to Jesus Christ? There is nothing. What's the thing that holds us together? It's the thing that Peter talks about, especially in verses 3 through 5. It's simply called the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That whatever happens in all of created reality, according to Romans chapter 8, whether it be trials, whether it be persecution, whether it be threats, whether it be hunger, whether it be thirst, there is nothing, says Romans chapter 8, that will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or as our famous catechism puts it, that amidst all that we face in life, We belong. We belong in body and soul and in life and death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know what you call that? That's the gospel. That's the good news. And may it be something that every one of us, kids, young people, those who are older, in the midst of our own trials, let's embrace that and revel in that and rejoice in that. Okay? More to this book in the weeks to come. For now, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that in the midst of the trials, the various pirasmuses that we face in our lives, ultimately ordained by you and coming forth from your hand, oh God, we pray that you would use these things in our lives to refine us, to deepen us, and give us a greater appreciation for the place of the gospel in our lives. And Father, if we're here this morning, and we're struggling through these things. And we find that our we, just, we feel parched. We feel empty. Oh God, replenish us, we pray. Fill us with your spirit. Draw us to Jesus. And draw us in a deeply experiential way to all the blessings that the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, has laid for our, out for us this morning in this passage. God, grant that, we pray. In Jesus' name amen there is a